Hello, my name is Jeremiah Johnson, and I'd like to welcome you to the third episode of Leaving the Shire, where we seek to leave our comfortable hobbit holes and go on an adventure to face uncomfortable situations, challenges to our beliefs, and come back a changed person. Uh, this week, I'm going to mix things up a little bit. Uh, we've been working, last week we started working our way through Ecclesiastes, and we will continue that next week. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to put something out this week as well and so i decided to do a little something a shorter episode i'm gonna call straight from the heart where i'm just going to share my heart with you about particular topics and um today i would just like to talk to you about church it's something i've spent a lot of time thinking about off and on um having been a few different churches now in my life and talked to people have belonged to different churches, heard their experiences and and everything. And uh, so this this may be a little scattered, I guess, but we'll come to a point and uh, hopefully it'll make sense. Well, first of all, we want to ask, well, what is the church? The church in the scripture is primarily referencing two things in the New Testament. First, it is the body of Christ as a whole. What does Jesus say, Matthew 16, 18? Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, it says, And he subjected under everything under his feet, that's talking about the Father subjecting everything under Christ's feet, and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body. So, first, the church is the whole body of Christ. It's made up of all believers around the world. But the term church can also refer to individual gatherings of members of the body. I think directly of Revelations chapter 2 and 3, talking about different churches, and then the intro to many of Paul's epistles is directed at individual churches or groups of churches. Um, and then our, in our modern vernacular, though, uh, church has come to mean not just the body of believers, whether on a larger scale or a more local scale, but it also includes the event of the meeting of the members of the body. And that's kind of where I'm, I'm going um, to tie all those in today a little bit. So we've got our definition of what the church is. But what is it for? Um, when the church was founded, and you read through the book of Acts and through Paul's epistles, we start getting some idea of what the church was there for. A general thing the church was there for was fellowship, um, obviously. Because if you think about the church, both past and present, there's some obviously, we've had it pretty easy. You know, we kind of fit in and just we don't have really much opposition per se. But there's been a lot of times in history when the body of Christ has faced major opposition and they were rejected by their family, their friends, their culture. Uh, I was actually just reading last night about a, a family. Um, it was somewhere in Southeast Asia that had been kicked off their land by their family um, for just being believers in Christ. And so, especially in situations like that, there's the generic need just for fellowship, for human interaction with other people that think like you and have a shared faith. But more specifically, uh, there's a there's a passage 
that uh, comes up a lot of times when you're talking about church, and that's Hebrews chapter 10. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to start reading in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter in to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new, new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great have priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we see, first of all, that that gathering together of the body is meant to help us to hold fast our faith and to exhort us to love and to good works. Um, so that would be the first thing. But tied into that, like the good works, when I think of good works, it would mean both doing good as in kindness and generosity, which we'll get into more in a minute, and it would also mean righteousness. Uh, there's there's passages in Galatians, I believe, that talks about, you know, believers correcting one another in a spirit of meekness, you know, lest we also fall. Um, but not only that, but if you look at Acts chapter 2, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So it comes into play of the whole fact of instruction in doctrine, study of scripture, and corporate prayer. And there'll be other places that talks about um, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. So that the act of worship as a, as a body, as a local body. Uh, Acts 13 references the commission of uh, Paul, I believe it's Paul and Barnabas as evangelists, missionaries, whatever you would like to call them. but So the church that prayed over them, fasted, and sent them out. That is the function of a local body to send out people for ministry. Uh, if you think of the, what the church does with baptism, with the Great Commission, we, sent, we were called to baptize other belie new believers. It's a celebration and dedication of those believers. Uh, when you baptize someone, it should bring joy to see someone coming to faith in Christ and, and not just with word, but through baptism, outwardly showing this is my decision and dedicating themselves to follow the Lord. Um, but something that I also find interesting is that the meeting together of the body believers in the event we call church is that it was meant to be doing good for the body. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Oh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 9, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it's talking about how Paul is, is encouraging them to give, uh, specifically, I believe, it's toward the needs of the Macedonians. And he talks about they need to be generous and the, the gathering together when they meet together, you know, for offering. And we find even... And throughout Paul's epistles, there's talking about one church in, in Asia Minor giving to the church at Jerusalem because they had need. Uh, 
then you think of of even first corinthians 12 right um it's talking about how we are a body and how you know just because one body may garner more attention one body part may be more desirable that doesn't make it more important that every part of the body has a function and with that and then you go back to acts chapter 2 again pick up where we left off there it says now all the believers were together and held all things common they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need so what do those three passages teach us when combined together it's that when we meet together we should be seeking to meet each other's needs to encourage each other both physically if we find a brother that has a physical need that we can meet a sister that has a monetary need that we can meet we should try our best to help them if that means on an individual basis or as a corporate body we should do so but it's also talking about the need to meet together we each have a gift a spiritual gift some of us is encouragement some of us is the ability to teach some of us you know may just be prayer warriors and, and really just have a heart to pray for your fellow believers but we all have a role to play and when we start excluding parts of the body we start running into problems and so god understands that and that's why he wants us to meet together on a regular basis um well, here's the question. So we've looked at what is church? What is church for? Do we need it? And I kind of already got into this a little bit. But experience and the Bible both demonstrate that doing life, especially the Christian life, alone is difficult. Our need for church is not based on some moral demand. But as the body needs food, water, and air, so we need each other. The continued deprivation of such will weaken us that's important to think about right like it's so easy to get discouraged whether you you know you've been hurt by a church or a specific person in the church you've just you, you've struggled because of of one thing or another you're just honestly you're just tired and you don't feel like going you know all those things have their place and in, in their own individual discussion but we need church we need each other we need the body of christ Christ made us interdependent, giving us each gifts. I don't have all the gifts of the body, right? I need other believers. And that misconception. However, when we think about church, there are definitely some misconceptions regarding church. Again, it's kind of overlapping, but this is where my heart lies, right? I wanted to lay the foundation with, with what it is biblically. What's the definition of church? And then what's church for? What is the body for? What is the gathering together for? And we've we've laid that down. That it is the body of Christ on a global or a local scale that is designed for worship, for instruction, for prayer, for commemoration of our Lord's death and resurrection, and to meet the needs of the body. But there are misconceptions about the church that, that I've come across, too. And two that I've, I've, I've kind of referenced already is, first, the idea that you can do it alone. It's just not possible. 
Galatians 6 tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Specifically in that context, it is talking about someone who is overtaken in a fault. But then it goes on to say that every man should bear his own burden. So we can't be expecting the church to meet all your needs as well. You have a personal responsibility, and they're both extremes, right? Well, this, this church wouldn't do this or that for me specifically. Or I don't need church because I can just worship God by myself. Okay, that's probably true to an extent. But God designed us to need each other. But you also have a responsibility. Also, there is the idea of making church an item to check off every Sunday or Wednesday. Church is not a moral obligation. And this, again, ties into us needing each other and the fellowship with like-minded believers, right? It's not just something to check off. And I'll get more into this in a minute as we get towards the end. But just because you check off church doesn't doesn't mean you fulfilled what it's there for. Just because you've met on a Sunday night or Wednesday night and you've checked it off your checklist for the week doesn't mean you've actually fulfilled the responsibility and the blessing of church. It's just not how it works. It, it should be something that we look forward to and we don't feel obligated to. And then there's something else that I've heard off and on throughout my life that actually has grown to really bother me. And that's when whether church members or preachers say this is the best church in the area. This church stands out from the rest. This local body of believers blank, right? I think the way to look at it, and it, it kind of, the more I've thought about it, the older I've gotten, it kind of grates me. Being the best church isn't the point. We each, as a local body and as a global body, have a responsibility to fulfill. And my left hand is not better than my right hand. My right foot is not better than my left foot. We should each fulfill, should seek to fulfill the responsibilities that we've been given in our area among the body of believers that we are currently present in. And when you get focused on comparing yourself to other believers, you got a problem. I've got a problem, whether it's on an individual level saying, well, I'm better than sister so-and-so, or my church is better than this church. That's a problem. But there is also the problem of expecting everyone to have a monolithic approach to church, doctrine, and the Christian life. There are certain things that are set out in Scripture that this is how we're supposed to do things, this is how we're supposed to believe, and it's clear. There are certain things that are not so clear, right? Salvation is by grace through faith. 100%. Not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is very clear from Scripture. That is a key doctrine upon which our salvation is dependent. The deity of Christ is a core doctrine upon which our faith rests. However, things like the rapture, all important, aren't a core tenet of our faith. There should, we should study, find out what we believe, but it doesn't, it's, it's different. It's a secondary issue. What kind of music our church has is an important discussion. But it's tertiary. 
It's not a core issue. And yes, it's so easy to expect people to have the exact same view as we have on every last thing. Even the concept of baptism. I believe baptism is by immersion. But if somebody sprinkles that, it doesn't change their salvation. I may deal, disagree with them, but it doesn't mean I should separate from them. Now, some people may not like that, but there is a difference between core tenets of the faith and secondary and tertiary issues. And so I've come to the opinion that as I've, as I've fellowshiped with other people and even online become a, a part of a group that I don't fully agree with. There's a lot of reformed Calvinistic believers. I'm not a Calvinist by any stretch of the imagination. But man, I found those folks to be a blessing. My brothers and sisters in Christ to be a blessing, to hear what they have to say, to interact with them online, and even in person, interact with people that I disagree with on certain things. Calvinist, uh, more free will doctrine than I would be. Different things, right? That, that aren't don't affect our salvation, don't affect the deity of Christ. We have a role to play in each other's lives. And if we separate from each other, we'll still be in heaven, but we're robbing ourselves here on earth. And as I've been thinking about this, right? You know, everybody laments that there's so many Christian denominations. And, and I know some have went off into heresy, so we're not talking about those, right? But I've come to, to the, 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 the proposition that is the problem that there's so many denominations or that there isn't more respect and cooperation between parts of the body. We're never going to all be in 100% agreement on doctrine. There was disagreements early on in the church, which they tried to work through as best they could. But even when they disagreed about those secondary issues, what they do, they still fellowshiped. They still strove for unity. And again, I'm not speaking, speaking of broad ecumenism that just welcomes everybody in, but if you hold to the core doctrines of the faith, the inerrancy of Scripture, the deity of Christ, salvation by grace through faith and a few others, then why are we getting upset about other things? Yes, we may not all attend the same service on Sunday, and that's not a bad thing. But to look down on people on other, from other denominations, that's problematic. To look down on other people who use a different version of the Bible, yeah, that, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Uh, I think about I think about in college I had a friend um, I won't name her but as I got to know her I found out that she was saved in a Pentecostal church using the NIV that was a big deal for me because I was raised King James only right it kind of uh, shook my world a little bit when I started thinking about that and so that's that's what I'm saying. I could have separated from her and not had anything to do with her and looked down on her, but I would have robbed myself of such a blessing. And she she called me out on some things as a good friend would. And I've had other people in my life. Wouldn't necessarily be in church with them every Sunday. Didn't exactly have all the same views. But to have separated from them over minor things would have robbed my life of a blessing. This is also something that is close to my heart, right? Is 
the question of are those who don't do church exactly like you, both in method and attendance, really backslidden or casual Christians? We do. We all do church differently. God didn't say how many times we have to go to church in a week. God didn't say, do you have to have a pulpit? Does your stage have to look a certain way? Do you have to have a choir, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? We could go down that road, right? But we find so many believers, especially here in America, that get caught up on those things. And I'm, I'm honestly a little sensitive on this topic because my wife and I have worked opposite schedule now for a number of years. And so we couldn't really go on Wednesdays um, just because of schedules. Sunday morning, we was there for Sunday school, Sunday morning service every Sunday for years. But Sunday night, once we moved here to Knoxville, we decided to make that his family time. We didn't get much during the week, so we decided to make it his family time. And you know what? Good believers who didn't care to ask. They're good people, but they didn't care to ask, hey, why aren't you here? We miss you. You know? No, what we heard was just essentially casual Christian. You know, or the reference to the possibility of us being backslid. And I used to, growing up, we were there for Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Monday night prayer, every revival meeting, every work day, every jubilee. And, you know, I was the person looking down on the people who would only come Sunday morning for a long time. I thought, man, I just hope they're saved. You know, now that I'm on the other side, I understand something. That going to church isn't a moral obligation that you should expect everybody to be there every service. But going to church, we should look at it as an opportunity to minister to other people. And I don't care if they're there one service a week or three services a week. It isn't about what you can get from them. It's about what you can do for them. And the moment we get that through our thick heads, maybe the body of Christ will thrive more. Those who seek to humbly serve have a larger effect upon my life than those who try to present some non-God-given standard. Then there's the idea of a perfect church. We're always, we bounce around to churches, right? Looking for various churches. I want this church to have perfect ministry for my children. I want this church to have all this doctrine, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I want this kind of music in my church. Think about here in America, in, in certain nations, how blessed we are to be so selective of our churches. And I say that as someone who recently left the church he was in and moved to a church that that we feel we fit in more and have a better connection with the body there and have a desire to serve with those folk. But think about the blessing that we have to be so selective, but I think it's also a curse because then we get too picky about things that don't matter and we don't try to make things work. Again, back to the, the folks around the world, really, who are persecuted to this day in the name of Christ. They don't always have the opportunity to be so selective as to choose not to fellowship in a church that, with a bunch of people who may or may not believe in speaking in tongues, who may or may not use a particular version, or they may or may not X, Y, or Z, right? Think about how blessed we are and how cursed we are at the same time that we allow ourselves to be so selective. And finally, the last misconception about church I want to deal with 
is that the meeting together referenced in Hebrews 10, 25 has to be a proper church service. I have come to the opinion and the belief that that is just not the case. Sure, it includes that, but it's not just that. You don't find that in Scripture, and I haven't found that in my life. Here's a personal example. When I was in college, I can't remember what year I was in, but I come to be blessed to be part of what we called Sunday night prayer group. And every night, every Sunday night after the evening service, we'd all go to supper individually, whatever, and we'd meet together on the um, on the terrace over by the varsity. I was at PCC. We'd meet. We just first. I guess at first we started meeting inside when we ran out of room, so we started meeting outside on the terrace. I actually forgot about that. And first we just started meeting together for prayer. We just share prayer requests, talk a little bit. And at the time, it just kind of was, you know, I knew a couple people, invited a couple people, and they knew someone, invited someone. So we weren't like all a core group of friends at first. But for some reason, we just started meeting together and praying. Um. And then it developed into a time of, of fellowship, bearing one another's burdens, and singing. <laughs> we love to sing. Um, and, and there were words of, of exhortation looped in there, right? Not, not in the structure of a service, but what I come to realize is, and this is no, no slam on campus church at all, I come to realize that most Sunday nights, I didn't get much from the service at church proper. But man, was my heart strengthened and my soul encouraged and challenged through the meeting of that group of believers. We didn't all agree on everything. And, you know, there were people who came for a little while and left and I even struggled with the idea of, of, of people leaving. I wanted everybody who come to stay. And I had to realize that Sunday night prayer group wasn't for everybody all the time. But God had us there for a reason and for the people who would come and who needed us, right? And like I said, I wouldn't trade that for the world. I got so much out of those Sunday nights. That's been, shoot, that's been six seven years now since the last time i was i was there was part of it and i've lost touch honestly with most of those people but that was what church was about that's where i started learning what church was really about it wasn't about sitting in a pew it wasn't about holding a songbook it wasn't about three points and an illustration and an invitation it was about the body of christ getting together to worship our savior to commemorate his death, burial, resurrection, to celebrate his love for us, and to bear one another's burdens, and to be the body of believers. And no, that prayer group could not replace a corporate normal church service, but nor could the church service proper replace it. And that's where my heart is tonight. I know laying the foundation when things was a little rough. But I hope as I've gotten into these misconceptions, um, that's my heart. And 
I meant for this to be a little shorter, and I don't know that it's going to be that much shorter. But my heart is this. We've overcomplicated church. We have so overcomplicated it. We've tried to turn it into something that it's not. And yes, there's always going to be logistical things to consider, whether it's with our giving or or where we should focus our ministries. I understand all those things. It's not just some feel-good emotional thing. But we have so overcomplicated it. When what it boils down to is being a body that is there for each other, that loves each other, that encourages each other, that exhorts each other to righteousness, that worships our Savior, that prays, and that commemorates what He's done for us. And I hope as we go forward that when we go to church, whether it's three times a week, one time a week, two times a week, whether that meeting together believers is a proper church service or whether it's a house church or meeting with a body of believers sometime through the week, that you'll take the time to appreciate it. That I take the time to appreciate what Christ has given us and the blessing it is to need each other. And the blessing it is to have people in our lives that we can be a blessing to. I tell you, there is not a church I've been a part of in my life that I would not say is a good church. I've disagreed with them on some things, still disagree with them on some things. But I would recommend all three or four of them that that I can recall even from my childhood. It's not a criticism of any particular church, but rather a call for us all to appreciate what we have. And as as I really look back on Sunday Night Prayer Group as such a, a joyous thing and such a encouraging thing. And honestly, I mean, I had, had one, one guy, Sai, remember him writing me a note about something and it it exhorted me to righteousness. I can remember walking back to our dorms, talking to him and a couple of the guys and being exhorted because I was struggling with sin and being exhorted to righteousness and encouraged not to give up. And that's one of the reasons I didn't. And as I look one back on that with fondness, I hope that's what church is for us. And then we don't overcomplicate it, that we don't turn it into a drudgery. But again, that we appreciate what God has given us on this earth and that he doesn't expect us to do it alone, but that we are part of his body, the body of Christ, the church. I appreciate y'all listening. And till next time, this is Leaving the Shire. Let's leave our comfortable hobbit holes and go on an adventure.